Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. This is part two of a two-part interview with Simon Camilleri, the Australian Renaissance man that we've had the privilege of hosting on the podcast before. And in part one, we asked Simon about abortion, and uh, he defends life beginning at conception from the Bible, works out some theological implications of that. And so if you missed that, you'll want to go back and hear Simon's thoughts on that. Simon is uh, working to promote life in Australia, and uh, in this this segment here that you're about to hear, Simon delves into the practicalities of how families and churches can help cultivate a culture of life and uh, how following Jesus factors into all of that. And so we hope this is helpful for you as you think through that and as you minister to your own family and families that are in your orbit of influence. Enjoy. Is this really mainly about changing laws? You know, is this really just kind of a legislative issue, abortion? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. No, I definitely don't think so. Um, uh, in fact, I think it's probably counter counterproductive if all we ever do is change laws. And um, you know, if we want to reflect on things that could have have been done better in the last uh, four years, is that there seems like there was a big push to make sure we got these laws through, um, some pro life laws in some in some states, um, and talking in America. Um, and uh, but now it's just a change of guard and things are just you know I think as soon as if all you do is do it legislatively and you don't address the culture then all that happens is the next person in power will just change it back um, and Uh change things around in the other direction Um, and I do think that um, legislation is important I think legislation does reflect like we were talking about before, how they they were acknowledging that, oh, if we brought in this law, it would say something about the child in the womb. It would sort of declare a certain humanity. Um, so I actually do think legislation has the power to do that, that it, it does change culture. Um, but I generally think that, as I've heard Ben Shapiro talk about a lot, he talked about how, uh, actually, legislation comes after culture. The culture changes first and legislation follows it rather than so much legislation changing culture. I've, I think there's three prongs to um, what we need to do. Um, and it's often I've heard it summarized with the idea that uh, abortion needs to be not only illegal, but also unnecessary and unthinkable. Uh, illegal means you, you do restrict abortion clinics and you uh, bring regulation into it. Um, But the idea of it being unnecessary addresses the issues of why people are getting uh, abortions and especially issues like supporting crisis pregnancy centres and, um, you know, making Mm -hmm. it possible. I'd hate for any woman to feel like they had to get an abortion. And often the pro-life, pro-choice argument you know, points to factors like poverty and 
uh, terrible situations as a reason why we need abortion. And I would go, well, those things are the things that need to be addressed so that we don't need abortion, especially for women who would prefer not to have an abortion um, to give them as much choice as possible. And then the last one is unthinkable. And I think that's a harder one to do, but um, uh, possibly the most necessary. And that's a change of our realizing what's changed in our culture um, in terms of the way we view human beings. And um, we, there definitely is a movement away, maybe not a movement away, but a, a, a generation that's leaving back behind the idea that human beings are made in the image of God um, or the human beings are inherently valuable. Now the arguments, especially in Australia, I hear, is human beings are valuable on the basis of their utility. Um, mm -hmm. And that's this is a big movement behind the uh, big driving force behind the euthanasia argument is, you know, people want to die with dignity because you have no dignity if you've lost, you're, you've got a disease or if you lost control of certain bodily functions or things like that, uh, that that's what your dignity is wrapped up in. Um, we've lost the idea that you have dignity whether or not, you know, even if, if you have dementia, you have dignity if you have a disability. Um, and so I think Christians have a wonderful message of humanity that cuts through racism and sexism and ableism and all these things that it says that no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're in the womb or elderly or a teenager, you have the same value no matter what you bring to the table of society, uh, you have value and you are worth something. Um, and that's a really beautiful message that I think we need to recapture or maybe teach the next generation. Um, so, and I think it will hopefully that would address a whole range of issues, in, uh, including abortion. Yeah, it definitely hits that, but like you said, it, it touches on many other issues in the, the nitty-gritty of life. So, Samia, why do you think that young people, because there's a number of stats that I've come across um, that are reporting that younger people are gravitating, at least in America, uh, to the pro-life movement, uh, their minds have been changed, but as science progresses and uh, it's confirming more and more that life begins at conception. Why do you think those things are going hand in hand? Yeah. Uh, well, there's, there's one, uh, I don't know how strong an issue this, uh, how strong an argument this is, but there's one argument that I heard that it was inevitable because pro-choice families have more kids. So, you know, in the end, pro-life families have more kids, but pro-choice families may have kids, may not. Uh, Pro-life families generally have lots of kids, so they just sort of like populate the next generation <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't know how great an argument that is, but uh, um, but uh, that's there's probably an element uh, to that, which is good. But I do think that science does play a big part in that. Um, there's uh, uh, if people know about writers on the topic of abortion in America, there's a great book called Aborting America by Bernard Nathan Nathanson. Uh, he used to be an uh, an abortionist. He used he sort of started the NARAL um, organization, big abortion. He was one of the co-founders of that, and he completely changed his view and has became a pro-life advocate. 
And he wrote in uh, Boarding America, uh, which was written in 79, right, um, a long time ago. Uh, he wrote, fewer women would have abortions if wombs had windows. And little did he know how much wombs would eventually have windows. Um, now, my mum said she didn't see any four of her boys uh, till they were born. Um, whereas now we have uh, so much video and photos and sometimes, you, you know, if you can get it, the four, you know, the three-dimensional video and and we can see inside the womb and the study of uh, embryology has just massively grown. You can now take a child out of the womb and operate on it and then return it to the womb so it can finish its, you know, its gestation. Like, and that just blows a lot of these arguments out of the, out of the water. Like, was it a human when it was taken out of the womb <laughs> and then it run, went back to not being a human when it went back in the womb, you know? And, you know, so I think science has wonderfully shown us actually the humanity of uh, the unborn and the study of genetics has too now we don't define a human being by whether you've got certain facial features or uh this or that um now we we go that's a human and that's not a human based on its genetics you know and so we can say that the child is um as people are learning this and as the, as the next generation is just growing up with this knowledge i i, I don't think it's surprising that they're seeing the the value in at the very least whether you want to give the big categories of pro-life and pro-choice because often they're tackling different issues um but at least they're growing up with an awareness that the child in the womb is a human being um and it's very hard to just go yep no it's only a human being when it when it starts breathing or you know that sort of thing that argument i know lots of lots and lots of pro-choice people who can't help but acknowledge that the child at least in the later st stages is indeed a human being um at, just like a newborn is now how can parents better instill pro-life values in the next generation in your opinion yeah well I, I all i can share is what i do with my daughter and one of the things one of the things i actually don't think christians think a lot about is the language they use. I touched on that a bit earlier, um, is just how we talk about children that are in the womb um, and how we talk about women who are pregnant. Um, and, you know, instead of talking about in the future sense, you'll become a mother. Are you looking forward to becoming a mother? Or are you looking forward to, you know, this child coming into the world or, you know, just the child is in the world. You know, you are a mother. Uh, I so often when they so when our um, my daughter's aunties are pregnant, I would often make a joke going, "Oh, there's there's five people in the room, Dorothy." You know, and including the child in the womb, always making sure that the child in the womb is acknowledged as a fellow human being there and then, um, and talking about that with your children so they've got that mentally. And, and one, another thing I've done is I've, I'm lucky enough to have a video of my daughter Dorothy at 20 weeks with her moving around in the womb and, and it's very beautiful. And, uh, 
And so showing that to her is fascinating and showing her, you know, now kids are growing up with ridiculous amount. Their whole life is documented. My daughter can know <laughs> that, see a video of her taking her first steps, you know. Um, we never had that sort of things of our, in, uh, for our childhood. We were, maybe you'd have the old sort of reel or the... Um, you know, the, the faded photo of you as a little kid that you'd laugh at. But now it's so documented our lives. So uh-huh. <laughs> um, part of the joy of that is that you can actually sh- teach your, your children about development and you can go, that was you when you were a baby and this was you when you were in mummy's womb. And um, and you can show a picture of the full, you know, their full-bellied mother and say, that's you, you there. And so I think that's actually really powerful with them growing up just with that idea uh even if they have no concept of the issue of abortion when they come up to it to that issue of abortion one day they'll have in the framework that this is a this is a human being and we have to grapple with how do we respond to this situation whether it's a friend uh contemplating abortion or whatever but with the fact that this is a a child in the womb i I think you teach also your children that all people are made in God's image and that reflects how we treat all people no matter what they look like. This is a great, you know, important lesson to teach our kids anyway as they go to school and see kids who are different, that we treat all children, all, you know, everyone with love um, and teach them that sort of common humanity that we all have. Another thing which I was reflecting on, uh, one of the biggest drivers of the pro-choice movement is not, as we all know, it's not them arguing that the child in the womb is not human, but the big focus is bodily autonomy, is the idea that we have the right to do whatever we want with our body, um, and it's my body, my choice, and that's the biggest driving force. And I think as Christians, we need to uh, make sure that we don't raise our kids with that mindset, with the mindset of it's my life, I do what I want, I get to choose and a focus on the idea of focusing on my rights. And I think this may be a bigger challenge in, in the States um, where defending rights is a real American value, right? The right to freedom, the right to autonomy is, is a very, you know, strongly held value. Um, And I think the counter to that, not the opposite of that, but the counter to that is the Christian value of service of love, of sacrifice, that actually we give up our rights for the sake of others. Um, and I think that's, that's you know, sacrificing yourself for the sake of others is also an American value and your respect for the military and and uh, those in service in that way. Um, but on a cultural level, I think that's something we need to raise our kids with so that they don't think, what I want to do with my life is my choice and no one else can say what they, you know, that we actually want our kids to be raised with an idea that we actually, we open our homes, uh, we sacrifice, we give up our, our rights for the sake of those in need. Um, and so if they come across, if they um, ever get pregnant themselves in, in a situation where they don't want to be pregnant, they won't automatically think with the filter of, this is my body, my choice. They'll think with the filter of, now this is the moment where I need to uh, sacrifice for the sake of someone in need. Yeah, so, and, and then the last thing I'd say is um, 
don't be afraid to talk to your kids about abortion. Um, so I've had age-appropriate conversations with my five-year-old about abortion. And it's a, you know, you, you, you handle it carefully, um, but uh, it's not, you don't have to wait until they're teenagers maybe yeah. until you brace the subject. Um, mm. Kids understand the concept of death. They understand the yeah. concept of a child in the womb. Um, and they understand the concept of protecting. And so you can speak to them about about that issue before the world does. I think that's the most important thing. Very, very good tips. Um, so, I mean, what can churches do towards that same end? Yeah, I, I think they, they need, you know, they need to be bold on teaching on those topics. Um, I know a lot of churches do teach, have a... Um, you know, a, a life Sunday sort of uh, where they talk about abortion once a year. I think churches do need to be bold speaking about the topic of abortion, uh, partly because you can't just presume that your congregation will all agree. Uh, there'll be a, a lot of people who've just come in from the world and become Christians and just won't think about it. And they won't know what the Christian perspective is on this topic. Um, so we need to educate people. The church needs to not just talk about abortion, though, uh, but talk about those those ideas that are, I think, um, the scaffolding around the topic of abortion, which is the, or the foundation of it, which is the idea that we're all made in God's image mm. and that it reflects how we treat each other and how we love each other um, and how we live a life of sacrifice and love and service of others rather than thinking of ourselves. And churches can resource uh, both parents who are trying to raise their kids with these ideas because they just might not know how to think about it. But especially, I think, the real battleground is youth. Um, so that they're the ones who are being assaulted more daily. On uh, They're the ones who are more engaged with the world and maybe going to, depending what school they go to, maybe being taught about these issues. Um, and... Uh, they're the ones that need to be really resourced to grapple with um, the the sort of the peer pressure to just support the pro-choice movement. Um, and yeah, often often we just presume that kids will be our kids will be pro-life without really resourcing them to grapple with uh, the arguments and that they may be that may be thrown their way, especially as they they grow up. That's a good word. And so the next question then uh, would be, with families again, how can families be truly pro-life and not just anti-abortion? Yeah, I, I think it's about seeing that the issue is not just that abortion is legal. That's, that's a very simplistic um, understanding of the issue, uh, that there's a whole range of issues um, and that we've talked about, which, you know, how we treat each other, how we see each other, how we understand humanity. And those bigger issues, abortion is just one of the many fruit that comes from that. So one of the other fruits is have a home that is uh, a truly pro-life home, I would say, is a home that's hospitable, that welcomes mm. everyone, no matter, no matter what they look like and no matter what their ability is. It's about treating you know, the, the disabled person in your congregation or your neighbour or something like that with, you know, exactly the same welcome and dignity and everything that you have for everyone else. It's 
Um, I think you create that culture of service and love and hospitality and sacrifice that feeds into uh, a home that, you know, that is about life and caring for people and care loving both the mothers and children. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think that's what a, a pro-life home should look like. That's good. Simon, how can Christian families help women who uh, they would have a, a pregnancy that they were not looking to have? Um, well, it may depend very much on where you are. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, but in terms of practical things um, is, you know, is I would look for what crisis pregnancy centres and support networks there are in your area and support them. Sometimes they're doing it really tough financially. I know the, there's only a couple, uh, or, yeah, there's only a very, a very few organisations in my whole state. Um, and so my wife and I have financially supported them um, and, you know, given them the resources so that they can give those resources to women seeking help. Um, and I, I think you should, you know, we should support government initiatives to help women uh, in need as well. Um, but on a personal level, it's just if there's someone who uh, is facing a crisis pregnancy, then be pro-life, support them, make it, remember the those three things. It's not just about being illegal. It's being uh, unnecessary and um, it's being uh, unthinkable. And so help with the unnecessary one. Make it so that, you know, if, if, even if it means invite them into your home so that they live with you for that nine months, like support, actually go out of our way to offer practical help to support uh, women in need if they ever come across your path. And if you don't know any, then um, make sure you support crisis pregnancy centres. And, and the last thing you can do, which is much harder in my state, um, is consider adoption and consider fostering because uh, that's that's a way that relieves the burden if if women have really feel like they can't raise their own children and they have been and they have chosen not to abort then that needs we need to make sure we're there as a community to support um and provide a, a space for those children to be raised that's great we, we've got a member of our church who actually runs a, a crisis pregnancy center and uh, she was telling me about uh, this young lady who was in their home. Uh, just You're just telling me and it, the, the details that she was talking The girl got mad and ran out and slammed the door, broke a glass thing. It was just sort of a, you know, another day. And, uh, you know, it would have been a, a, a pretty big inconvenience and an, an expensive one. And just, just what her, her and her husband deal with. Um, yeah. Just doing it out of love. Yeah. And I, I think we, we're very protective of our homes you know, we can go out there and love people out in the world, but our home is our castle. Mm -hmm. Our home is our, you know, sanctuary. And mm -hmm. I, I think we need to get over that a little bit. Um, <laughs> we need to work out how we survive with the cost of loving. Uh, you know, how, how do you replenish yourself? But our homes need to be as open as possible. And there's lots of factors that may make that difficult, um, especially if you've got children and things like that. Um, but you know, at my one of the one of the things I love about my wife uh, is that she. We both know 
that if someone needs help, she won't need to ring me and ask, can this person stay the night? Or can this person, we just have a policy of yes in our home. Um, someone needs to come over for dinner. doesn't matter how the other person maybe had a rough day and tired and stuff, but we have a, just a general policy of yes. Um, and uh, if, if it's all terrible, then the other person will go, well, look, I, I can't go, but I'm going to eat in the other room. But we have a general policy of the door is open um, and this is not our home. God, it's Christ has given us this home to love both our family and others. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that's a wonderful thing for our kids to actually grow up knowing that it's not their toys and it's not their room and it's not our kitchen table. It's, you know, that God's given it to us to bless others as well. Yeah, that's good. Simon, you know, we've seen how we can support those who are pregnant, those who have unwanted pregnancies, which I think is so important. And I appreciated so much of what you said there, especially about the kind of the open door mentality, because I think we can't separate, you know, how we perceive the ills of the world with how we act as individual Christians. Uh, and, but how can families today help pro-life causes uh, in the ways like you do? Yeah, I, I think it's worth, first of all, knowing what the pro-life movement or activism or causes are in your area um, or maybe even in your country um, and supporting them, whether that's turning up for a peaceful march, um, which I think as much as it doesn't do, I don't think protests do a lot, um, but I think what they do do is say something. Uh, if no one turns up for a march, that says something, right? Um, whereas if thousands of people turn up for a march, that says something. And politicians are often looking to the uh, to how much of a voice there is on an issue to uh, to see where whether they'll vote one way or another, um, looking to their constituents. And, and so it's worth making sure uh, the pro-life voice is heard. Um, writing to our politicians, making sure they understand that you want them to vote a certain way on certain topics. And, but again, as we talked about the, it's, it's not just a legislative issue at all. Um, and if all the politicians voted all the laws that we would like in, that wouldn't actually solve the problem because uh, it's actually how people, how we think about humanity, I think is one of the big issues. And so, how can we, you know, how can we help pro-life causes is one being a light yourself, making sure you and your family are a light, uh, that you're not ashamed to talk about this issue, uh, that you're educated as best as you can be on this issue. Um, and as appropriate uh, that you talk about this issue with people um, in, in a way that's respectful, uh, in a way that's interested in their perspective, that's not non-combative, um, where the goal is actually having healthy conversation and understanding other people's perspectives and and with and acknowledging that you you would like them to change their mind or encouraging them to, um, but engaging in good conversation. Um, so yeah, so I think there's lots we can lots we can do individually and uh, as a church community or as a you know as a social community and as on a political level as well. Good. 
Sorry, I was going to, I just want to add to that, you know, I think it is so interesting you bring that up. I was actually watching a uh, video that kind of uh, went into abortion uh, by state in the United States and, and what are some things that actually curved abortion. And uh, this study actually found that uh, a state that went to work really helping pregnant women uh, and really helped at finding ways to support them, even while they allowed pro-life centers to, you know, very, be very avert that this is this is wrong and foolish choices, uh, was far more effective at reducing abortion rates than you know a state that happened to just kind of really focus on a very strict laws, which really fascinated me, uh, and I think says a lot to how you know this is not just you know shaking a fist, but this is about uh, a more really dynamic engaging with the realities of why this is a problem at all. Yeah, absolutely, and and we've you know if we've learned anything that if you just have prohibition. It, it doesn't work like you know um if you if you just build fences to stop people trying to do the wrong thing uh, people will just look for holes in the fence like if you it doesn't it doesn't just help to just try and prov- make it hard for people to do something that they want to do we have to address why are people driven to it and sometimes you know you can't solve that you could have all the resources in the world and someone just says, I just don't want to have another kid and I don't care if it's a human being. Like, and there's little we can do with uh, with that. But yeah, if, if one straight state cracks down, a lot of people will just go to the next state if they can. Um, so we need to actually yeah, engage with the culture as well as as well as the legislation. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a good point. Um, well, Simon, we do appreciate the time today. If um, if listeners want to follow your ministries, they want to learn more about the, the various things that you're involved in, how can they do that? I've got a blog which I now and then write on, uh, which is just my name, simoncamilleri.com, uh, and they can find me on Facebook, uh, which is probably where I'm most active posting things and discussing things, and um, and that's uh, you know facebook.com. Uh, slash Simon dot Camilleri one. I think I got that one. <laughs> Simon dot Camilleri one dot com. But yeah, uh, you know, uh, you can look me up on on there or on YouTube. And um, uh, you know, if anyone wants to engage on any of these topics, uh, I'd be I'd love to chat with people. People can email me at hello at Simon dot com as well. Great. Well, thank you again for the time, brothers. It was an engaging conversation about a really important topic, and it was insightful getting your perspective, you know, across the the world and uh, what the context looks like there. And uh, I know it's beneficial for me. Amen. So, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah, really. Thank you so much for your time, Simon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.